Welcome to Fleet Baptist Church. We hope you enjoy the latest in our teaching series. And communion can sometimes actually be just this, we turn it into just a symbolism or a religious act or just something we do once a month on a Sunday or sometimes people do it once every, every week on a Sunday. But I want to just dwell a little bit deeper into what communion really is and what it means for us. Okay, so for that reason, I want to start reading from Luke 22. And it's really important to remember that Jesus was a very, very good Jew. He did everything the Jewish people did. He was not a Christian. Um, He did not celebrate Christmas and Easter and all those things. Not that those are bad things, but he was obeying the Jewish custom. He was obeying Passover. He was the one, he, he, he came and fitted in like his people the ones that he ordered them to fit in like. Does that make sense? Are you with me? So he was a very, very good Jew. He, he obeyed all the customs, obeyed all the laws. And you even know the story of the lady who was bleeding who reached out to hem of his garment. That hem that he was wearing would have been like, I think it's called a shawl. You know what rabbis wear and they have it over their heads and it's got tassels hanging off of it. He would have been wearing that. So if you want to picture what Jesus looks like, he wasn't just a guy walking around in curtains. He was wearing, he was, fit, he was, he was fitting in with the Jewish custom and obeying that and, and, and honoring that. Okay, so we find ourselves in Luke 22, um, verse 7, in coming into Passover. Okay, and for those of you who don't know what Passover is, Passover, I think it stems out of Exodus 11, I believe, and it comes from where the spirit of death or the spirit passed over Egypt to, to, to wipe out firstborn. Okay, do we know that story? You know, one thing that's interesting, every spirit that was poured out, every plague that was poured out was an, almost an imitation of an Egyptian god. Because remember, early on in, in, um, in Egypt, the Pharaoh ordered all the firstborns to be killed. So it's, it's almost a, the art of reaping what you sow. Yeah? And a lot of the time, I think spiritual warfare is just the art of reaping what you sow. So be careful what you say, who you say it to, how you say it, what you sow into, what you don't. Okay? This is where we're at. So Passover, but in order to save them from Passover, from the, from the death, they had to take the blood of a lamb and put it on their doorposts, okay? We know this. Anybody seen Prince of Egypt? Love Prince of Egypt. Love the soundtrack. Just never gets old. And they had to put the blood of the lamb on the doorposts to protect them from death, okay? But it couldn't just be any lamb. It couldn't just be, um, like I say, a random lamb. It had to be a lamb without fault or blemish. It had to be, a, it had to be pure, its blood had to be pure. It couldn't have had any defects whatsoever. It had to have a purity. And that was a thing that separated it from, um, that protected them from death. This is what they're celebrating. And every Passover after that in Exodus, they're told to sacrifice a lamb, okay, in remembrance. So the time when the disciples are meeting together, there would have been a lamb that was taken to be slaughtered, okay? And that blood, again, would represent the saving from death as well as taking off the sin from the people, you know? Yeah? Yeah, we all know this. Okay, good. So let's read um, 22 verse 7. There's quite a bit to read. We're going to read up to about verse 30, so stay with me. But the word of God is food, and this should fill us up. All right? So let's go from here. Now the festival of unleavened bread arrived. When the Passover Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus sent Peter and John ahead and said, go and prepare the Passover meal. We can eat it so we can eat it together. Where do you want us to prepare it? They asked him. He replied, as soon as you enter Jerusalem, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him at the house he enters. Say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare our meal. 
They went off to the city and found everything Jesus, just as Jesus had said, and they prepared the Passover meal there. When the time came, Jesus and the apostles sat down together at the table. Jesus said, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. Then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. He took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. But here at this table, sitting among us as a friend, is the man who will betray me, for it has been determined that the Son of Man must die. But what sorrow awaits the one who betrays him? The disciples began to ask each other which of them would never do such a thing. Then they began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Jesus told them, in, the, in this world, the kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. But among you it will be different. Those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank, and the leader should be like a servant. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here, for I am among you as one who serves. You have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my, in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That's quite a, uh, an upgrade there for the disciples, isn't it? And it's an, it's an encouraging thing for us that there's going to be food in heaven. You know, God is a God who likes fellowship. He likes, he likes us eating together. It's no word of a lie. It's very common in the Bible. So I'd encourage you, eat together and eat well, but don't be gluttonous. That was a complete side note. Shouldn't have, said, shouldn't have gone that way. Anyway, so back on track. So they got, Jesus spoke about new covenant, okay? And what is this new covenant? In order for this new covenant to come into place, an old covenant had to be fulfilled. And now the old covenant was given in the Old Testament. The old covenant was given to Moses with, the, with the, the laws, the do's, the don'ts, and everything that was meant to be abided by. That was, that was a, it was agreement between God and man. Okay? And we had to keep that agreement, but nobody could. Nobody could live up to the, the agreement that man made with, with God to say, yes, we'll do this. We agree to this. Nobody could do it. Nobody could live a pure and blameless life. Okay? And Jesus coming in here, bringing a new covenant, and it isn't saying, okay, that, that kind of failed. Let's forget about that one. Let's just start a new one and just pretend like that one didn't, just never existed. He's not doing that here. In the midst of where they are meeting, he is talking about the fulfillment almost being done. But there's one more thing for that fulfillment to take place, and that was that lamb to be sacrificed. And that lamb had to be, again, without blemish, without sin, had to be pure. And that symbol was the ending of the old covenant. Okay? And in order for that to finish, we had to have, Jesus is bringing in a new covenant. And what is the new covenant? The new covenant is what we read about in Jeremiah 31. And it says this. But this is a new covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Okay? So we're moving from... Uh, a religious covenant as such, 
of doing and acts and keep it, trying to make the grain, make the grade, to a covenant that is entwined of the inside of us. In other words, entwined on relationship. You know, I don't cheat on my wife because I love her, because I'm in a relationship with her. Are you with me? So he's taken us from religion to relationship, which we hear a lot in churches. But this is him actually putting it on paper. This is actually done in the, in the, in the spiritual realm. Because you and I, the one thing we have to understand is that the enemy is a legalist. He's not the, called the accuser for nothing. The accuser is a legal term. So he can only operate in your life if he's given a foothold to or um, access to. Okay? And we can read about that in the Old Testament. If you read Job 2, number, yeah, Job chapter 2, it, to, it talks about them gathering in the holy assembly of God's court. Okay? So we know that there is a courtroom out there, and that's, that entwines with the legalities of this thing. So in order for the old covenant to have to be done, there had to be legal things that Jesus had to fulfill in order for us to walk into the new covenant. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Okay, good. I know it's a lot to take in. So Jesus comes and says in Matthew 5, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Okay, so we know us, that we're living here today because Jesus has fulfilled that old covenant and, covenant and taken us into the new covenant and restored us back to Eden, restored us back to that original relationship. Jesus didn't place Adam and Eve in the garden and said, here's two tablets of stone, abide by all these things and you'll be all right. You with me? He places them in the garden to walk with him, to have relationship with him. That was his original intention. His original intention was not to put all these laws in place. His original and only intention was for you and him to have relationship. But we mucked it up. But he made things right again. Yeah? And we know that by the blood of Jesus. We know that because he was that lamb that was sacrificed on the cross because we're meeting at Passover here. There was one lamb that was sacrificed, a physical lamb, and there was another lamb that was sacrificed that later that day and his name was Jesus and that was the final thing that it took for Jesus to fulfill that covenant in order for us to enter into the next one and in that and in this kind of process we've got Jesus at Gethsemane and he's praying and he says Lord if it be possible take this cup from me but not my will but your will be done we know that we know that verse what cup is he talking about here there's a cup that we read about in Isaiah 51 and Jeremiah uh, 25, that's the cup of God's wrath. You know, it's the cup of God's wrath. And this is the cup that he is referring to. And we've got this story in Matthew 20, where the woman comes to Jesus. Jesus is talking about his kingdom. And the woman says, Lord, allow my sons to, allow my sons to sit with you at your right hand. Allow my sons to sit where you are. And Jesus replies to her, he says, you don't know what you're asking for. Can they drink the cup I'm about to drink? Do we know that story? Yeah. That cup that he is talking about and referring to is the cup of God's wrath. So when he died on the cross, when he fulfilled that covenant, when he fulfilled what he needed to, that Passover lamb, it wasn't just the sin of the world on his shoulders, but it was the cup of God's wrath that he drank, that he took on so that we don't have to face it. And that's good news right there. There is no longer the wrath of God over your heads, over my head. Because Jesus, even though he lived a perfect, blameless, sinless life, and we know the joy that was set before him, so he was happy to do it for us, he took on the wrath of God, not just the sins of the, sins of the world. Are you with me? Yes. So the wrath of God has been finished. It's been done. 
And what does that mean now for you and for me? It was taken up, it was absorbed. <clears throat> I've done double-sided paper, so it takes me a while to like flip over the, my notes, so bear with me. There we go, I'm just bringing us back down to earth. So in Jewish culture, there was a, um, when ancient Jewish culture, when a young man would propose to a Jewish lady, he would give her a cup of wine. Okay, and this has taken us into communion, Passover, see the relations there. And when he'd give her that cup of wine, if she drank it, that would be her saying yes. Okay? And what does that signify? That cup signifies the two becoming one. And we hear about that a lot in marriage, don't we? We hear about the, um, you're no longer two, but you now become one. So another representation of Passover communion is us taking the symbolism of that cup and recognizing oneness with God. Because Jesus says in John 15, Father, make them one as you and I are one. You know that we are no longer um, slaves and we're no longer separate, but you are in Christ and you are a new creation. It's Christ in us as well as us in Christ. And if something's in you, that means you're one with it. Does that make sense? So that is the goal for you and for me. And Jesus says in John as well, Father, it is my desire to be with them. Did you know that? You know God wants to be with you. You know in those times when you're crying out and you feel like he's really far away and you feel like he doesn't want to be with you or he's, he, because he's not, you're not feeling him, it must mean he doesn't want to be with you. That's not true. He wants to be with you. He wants to be one with you. And it's our, our calling to be one with him. Corinthians 6.17 says this, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The person that is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And we know that that is the calling of relationship because the ultimate act of relationship is surely marriage, marriage covenant. And what happens with a husband and wife? They start to get to know each other in deeper levels that nobody else can. You start to know how the other person gets to think. You start to know what they like, what they don't like. You start to know, you start, you, you, you're given comfortable access to ask them questions because you know how they're going to respond. So, Rachel, why do you do that? Rachel, why do you do this? Do you, do you see what I mean? And it gives you, when you get to know the person, it gives you a greater access to understand the person even more. <laughs> so when we're taking communion, when we take over the Passover, it's not just another symbol of remembrance. It's a symbol of becoming one with your maker. And that's good news right there. And this, and this whole Passover thing, it can be actually, um, well, communion can be quite a controversial subject because you've got the story of the 72 disciples that left Jesus. You know, not everybody liked Jesus. Not everybody liked his sermons. He didn't please everyone. He wasn't a people pleaser. Jesus talks about communion and he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have nothing to do with me. And you would think if Jesus was polite and he was a preacher, he would just tone it down a little bit. He's like, and he would explain things a little bit. You know, help yourself out a little bit, Jesus. Why don't you tell him what's going to happen in a few years' time and tell him what your blood really means and what your flesh really means. Yeah, they're not put off. But Jesus didn't do that. He wasn't afraid of upsetting people. And what did the 72 do? They leave. They leave because they don't understand it. They leave because they're uncomfortable. They leave because they, they, they say to him, this is a hard teaching to understand. And Jesus turns to the 12 disciples and says to them, what about you? Are you going to go too? And they said, Lord, where else can we go? We've got nothing else. 
But you look at the reward for the disciples that came when they, and they stood and they didn't, when they didn't understand. They stayed when they didn't understand. They stayed when things got a little bit weird. They stayed when things, when everybody else had left. They didn't follow the crowd. They stayed when they didn't understand. They, they, they hung on to Jesus in the midst of not understanding what he was talking about. And Jesus goes on to say, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you will surely you will not die. So this is not just a symbol. This is not just a religious act we do once a month or have along. This is an act of supernatural activation or activity for our lives. So as we know, when they were meeting a Passover, there was two lambs about to be sacrificed. The first lamb that the priests would have taken up and the second one that was Jesus, who was about to be sacrificed. And interestingly, the, the lambs are actually born in Bethlehem. The lambs that were taken to be sacrificed every Passover, were the one, they were born in Bethlehem. And we know somebody else was born in Bethlehem, don't we? His name was Jesus. And we know that the high priests were the one that handed over the lamb to be sacrificed. Who else was handed over by the high priests? It was Jesus. There's no, there's no accidents, there's no coincidences. God is the God in the detail. And we've got John the Baptist, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's being, he's being called the Lamb of God before any of it's ever happened. And we know that it was the joy that was set before him, that he did this for you and for me. It was the joy that was set before him that he left that table, he left that Passover to go and be wounded and slain that we might be free, that we might be restored to relationship. I want to read from John, uh, Revelation, sorry. Revelation 5, verse 4. <laughs> and Revelation is another one that people can just flip over because they don't understand it. You know, like linking back to those disciples that left. We're going to read for it. And so to give you a bit of an understanding here, John has been taken up in the spirit. Okay, he didn't run away. Remember, he embraced it even though he didn't understand it. But when he didn't understand, he asked questions. Okay, or people explained things to him. And if you actually look at the, the pattern of the prophets, when they don't understand something, they ask questions. So we can never be afraid of asking questions. So even angels would answer or different people like that. They would answer. But in this certain situation, John is caught up in the spirit. And he's weeping bitterly. Why is he weeping? He's weeping bitterly because there's a scroll and a seal that is to be opened, but there's nobody found worthy to open it. Not one, not even to look at it, is what we're about to read. And there's great commotion because there's nobody, not one person on the earth who has lived before is worthy enough, has lived a worthy enough life to open the scroll, to open the seal. And it says this, so I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on earth. Now for those of you who think that heaven is going to be boring, there's going to be responsibility there. Kings, I don't know if anybody's ever seen how busy the queen is. 
at her age. And priests, that just doesn't mean you're going to be sitting around doing nothing. There's going to be things assigned to you. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and glory, strength and honor and glory and blessings, and every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and the such as are in the sea and that are all in them, I heard saying, listen to that again, I'm going to read that, every creature, all of creation is crying out. All of creation is crying out. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. That's powerful stuff right there. And that's only fulfilled through the blood of the Lamb. That was only fulfilled for Jesus being the Lamb that was worthy enough to open the scroll by being sacrificed, by laying down his life. So for me, communion is not just a, a remembrance. Yes, it is that we remember the torture that he went through on the cross. May we never forget that as long as we may live into all eternity. But it is so much more. It's a transformational thing. For me, I look at it as becoming more like Jesus. If I was to have a blood transfusion with the blood of Jesus, I would not like, like, look like Nathan anymore. Galatians tells us it is no longer I that live, but Christ now lives in me. Amen. So when I'm taking communion, and when you're taking communion, it is not just a symbolic thing. It's a transformational thing where you're looking to be more like Jesus, to think more like Jesus, to lay down your life like Jesus, to be holy like Jesus, to love like Jesus. But to remember his cross, to remember his death, to remember he is the worthy one that is slain. And by his blood, we are healed, we are free, we are loved, we are clean. And remember, it wasn't just any old blood. This blood was fought for. So if you need healing in this place today, receive this pure blood by faith, knowing that it can heal and it sets you free. By stripes, we are healed. <laughs>